you have your Bibles this morning, please turn to the book of Ruth. Uh, you can grab one of the pew Bibles in front of you. We're on page, uh, it's about 155, I think, or one, 185 in the red ones, 222 in the black Bibles. It's earlier than I think in the Bible. It's Joshua, Judges, Ruth, First and Second Samuel. Uh, we've been looking at the story of Ruth for the last two weeks, and then uh, we've got this week and one more week to go. It's a short book, but it's a great one. It's a story uh, about widows and their redemption. Uh, it's called Ruth, but one of the main characters is this woman named Naomi. And in some, in some ways, the whole book is really a story about the redemption of Naomi. Uh, it is, Ruth is, of course, a main character. But what we see in Naomi uh, in chapter 1, we see that she's a woman who's got a husband and two sons, but then she experiences some hardship. Uh, there's political unrest in the land. There's famine. Uh, the rains don't come, and so they decide to move to another country named Moab. While they're there, her, her uh, two sons get married, but then her husband dies, uh, and the two boys die. And pretty soon she's left uh, alone. She's lost all this that she had. She's lost her husband. She's lost her two little boys. Well, grown now, but to her, her boys. Uh, and she's, uh, she's tempted to give in to despair and into bitterness. And in fact, as you read through chapter 1, you see that's what happens. Uh, she decides to go back to her homeland because it's, she hears that there's food again. And her daughters-in-law want to come with her, but she discourages them from coming. So one of them leaves, but one of them, Ruth, makes this profound statement of uh, commitment to Naomi. says, I'm going to go where you go. If, you know, may God judge me if anything except death separate me from you. And Naomi says, fine, have it your way. So they make it back to Bethlehem, and Naomi tells everyone, I went away full but I've come back empty, ignoring the fact that Ruth is there with her. So God has taken everything away from me. Don't call me Naomi anymore, which means pleasant. Call me Mara, which means bitter. This is my, my whole life, my whole life experience, I'm just, just call me bitter. That's my name now because that's what life is for me. It's just bitterness. In chapter 2, we begin to see the change, uh, how this, uh, this woman, Naomi, gets brought out of her bitterness. Not through anything she does, but it's through Ruth. What we saw is that Ruth, instead of trying to have everything figured out or just giving up and throwing up her hands in despair, Ruth just does the next right thing. She looks at her circumstances. She says, I'm a widow here in this land. What's available for me to do? I'm going to go gleaning. So she goes out in the fields, and that's just the practice that they had where the farmers wouldn't harvest everything in their fields. Whatever fell to the ground would be left there, and so the poor, uh, the aliens, the widows could go, and they could pick that up, and that would be their food supply. She says, I'm just going to go gleaning. And she goes out, just doing the next right thing. She finds that God has a plan for her. She encounters the field of the one man who could do the best good for her and her mother-in-law, Boaz. And Boaz welcomes Ruth into his, uh, into his workers. She, he, he says, uh, I, I want you to stick with me. Stay at this field. I'll protect you. He gives her food to eat. He gives her water to drink. And then he tells his workers, go ahead and drop extra on the ground to make sure that she gets enough to be provided for. So Ruth goes home with all this amazing haul of one day's work, and, and Naomi says, where did you glean? Who was the guy in charge of your field? She says, there's this wonderful man named Boaz. And the light goes on for Naomi, because she knows that Boaz is a relative. And she says, Boaz, uh, chapter 2, verse 20, she says, may he be blessed by the Lord, whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. This man is a close relative of ours, one of our redeemers. The, the bitterness begins to crack, hope begins to shine through. Naomi says, there's a chance that this guy 
one of our close relatives, is going to be uh, a redeemer for us. That is, the relative who steps in and fulfills his duty to take care of us a- as widows in the society. But then at the end of, cha- the end of chapter 2, we see that, that nothing really changes. Uh, for about two months, Ruth gleans. She gleans through the barley harvest and through the wheat harvest. And, you know, ostensibly Boaz is, is still providing for her, still taking care of her, but she's still living at home with her mother-in-law. It's a stable existence for now while the harvest is going on, but nothing fundamentally has changed. There's still these two women on their own. So as we begin chapter 3, we see that Naomi finally decides that something's got to change. She begins to take action. She begins to take a risk. That's what we're going to see today as we look at this chapter, chapter 3 and some of chapter 4. We see these people beginning now to exercise their faith and exercise their faith by doing stuff that looks risky. They're taking risks. So I'll I'll continue the pattern that we've done so far. I'll read a few verses, talk about it, and we'll work our way through the passage. Uh, Chapter 3 of Ruth, starting in verse 1. Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, said to her, that is said to Ruth, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you, that it may be well with you? Is not Boaz our relative, with whose young women you were? See, he is winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Wash, therefore, and anoint yourself, and put on your cloak, and go down to the threshing floor. Uh, but do not make yourself known to the man until he has eaten, has finished eating and drinking. But when he lies down, observe the place where he lies, then go and uncover his feet and lie down, and he will tell you what to do. And she replied, all that you say, I will do. Now, let's just stop there for a sec. What we see here is Naomi, first of all, makes a plan. It, this is a big change. This is an important plot point in the story of Ruth. Because Naomi, before, she was just in despair. She was, she'd given up on life. Uh, and in chapter 2, we saw it was Ruth who was taking all the action. But now Naomi is waking up. She's beginning to exercise her faith again. She sounds a lot like the old Naomi in chapter 1, verse 8. Remember that when she said to her daughters-in-law, uh, Go, return each of you to your mother's house. May the Lord deal kindly with you as you have dealt with the dead and with me. You know, Back in chapter 1, she wanted what was good for her daughters-in-law. Then she kind of fades into this funk. But here, at the beginning of chapter 3, she begins to come out again. And she says uh, to Ruth, I need to, I need to seek for your good. I need, to, I need to get you a husband. I need to, to secure a future for you, Ruth. So here's what we're going to do. She makes a plan. And her plan is that she's going to get Ruth married off to Boaz. Uh, now in, cha- in verse 2 of chapter 3, she says, Boaz, here's the deal, he's, he's winnowing barley tonight at the threshing floor. Uh, the old farmers know what winnowing is, but what these, were, these folks were doing in their ancient winnowing practice, they'd take the, the crop to the threshing floor, and then they'd have animals walk over it, and then they'd toss it up in the air, and there was a, a breeze that would blow through. Uh, just uh, off the Mediterranean, so they'd toss it up in the air. The breeze would separate the light stuff that you didn't want, the chaff, away from the actual grain, so the grain would fall back down, you'd gather up the grain, and you'd put it in a big pile. So end of the harvest, Boaz is is winnowing. She says, I know he's going to be there tonight. Here's the plan, Ruth. I want you to go uh, to Boaz. First of all, make yourself presentable. Said in verse 3, she says, wash yourself, anoint yourself, or put on perfume, uh, put on your cloak, uh, now, some translations say put on your best clothes, which is fine as long as we remember uh, what best clothes would be for her in this context. She's a, a poor widow, ancient times. Don't, don't, don't imagine prom dress in your mind, okay? 
not, not, she's not going, not going there with the, with the hopes that she's going to knock him out with her beauty. It's more like she's hoping she just won't knock him out with the smell. So she's cleaning up a little bit, putting on the best clothes she's got, uh, putting on some perfume, so I'm trying, to, trying to look all right. Uh, it may also be a sign that she's done mourning, that she's done grieving over the husband that she lost and she's now available for marriage. And uh, Naomi says, once you make yourself presentable, go to him when he's asleep. And here's the, the weird thing. Lay down at his feet and uncover his feet. Now this is cryptic to us, right? We don't understand exactly what this means just naturally because we don't have this custom. Uh, but apparently, as you read through it, it was obvious for Boaz and Naomi and Ruth what it meant. Uh, it meant that Ruth was asking Boaz to marry her. Because uh, Naomi says, just, just go uncover his feet. He'll tell you what to do. Boaz is going to understand what this action is. When Ruth does it later on and Boaz sees what happens, he responds by uh, accepting the offer of marriage. So it's, it's clearly a symbolic offer of marriage. Just we don't do it anymore, so it doesn't make immediate sense to us. But for them it made sense. And this is Naomi's plan. She says, go, uh, go to where Boaz is secretly. Make yourself look nice and then offer yourself to Boaz to, to get married. Ask Boaz if he will be your redeemer and marry you. That's her plan. Now I want to pause for a little bit and, and just examine that. I want you to see that this is a risky plan. Okay? Just, just look at it a little bit and you'll see. Like, you've read the story. I know, you know it turns out fine, so you, you kind of lose that sense of risk. You're like, of course she does that. But, but if, if you're Ruth here, listening to Naomi give you this plan, you can see there's some risks here. Um, and risk is a really interesting thing because uh, risk, everybody's got different tolerances for risk. Uh, financial planners have, have worked this out uh, pretty well. They know that when you begin to help somebody, you've got to figure out what's their tolerance for risk. Uh, and you know, if, if you were to just sit down and ask somebody on a scale of 1 to 10, what are you? And you say 1 being extremely risk-averse and 10 being risk-loving. Well, we'll just try Just think there for a second. Where would you put yourself on that scale? Uh, most people put themselves at a seven. Uh, most because because you, you know nobody wants to be like the super cautious person, and everybody thinks, well, I'm moderately risky. Uh, but th that's not what this plan is. Okay, this is not a seven on the risk scale. Uh, this is a ten. Let me let me show you some of the risks that she's got here. Um, first of all, there's the risk that Ruth could be rejected by Boaz. And you remember, Boaz is their lifeline. He's the reason why they're surviving. That he's been generous to them, they've been going to his field, that's why they're making it. And so y you hope that he'll respond well to this offer of marriage, but there's a possibility that he could be offended by it, uh, that he could reject them and say, no, 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 okay, and, and forget all that other stuff I've been doing for you. No, you completely misread me. He, he, could, he could reject Ruth, and then Naomi and Ruth would be worse off than they are now. It, they're not in a great situation, but at least it's stable. There's a chance that Boaz could just reject them. There's also a, a very real risk uh, that Boaz could take advantage of Ruth physically. Uh, it's just a young woman going out alone to meet this man at night in an isolated place. If you want to know what can happen to young women alone at night in the time of Judges, you can read Judges 19. It's not a very good picture. Uh, it's, it's risky, a, a real physical danger to her. She could be risking uh, her honor and her physical safety. Third, it could ruin both of their reputations. Uh, even if nothing bad happens, 
someone sees what's going on, we'll see Ruth and Boaz alone on the threshing floor. People could get the wrong ideas, and Ruth and Boaz, their honor could be shattered, even if they did nothing wrong. People could easily misinterpret their actions. And, and I know people then could misinterpret their actions because interpreters today still misinterpret their actions. Uh, people today, some interpreters, are, are bound and determined to see in this picture of, of Ruth and Boaz, seeing the story, uh, Ruth and Boaz actually getting together. Just like you'd see in a Hollywood movie. Uh, folks will claim that that phrase, to uncover the feet, is a euphemism similar to ours, uh, sleeping together. It's just a, a, a euphemistic way of, of talking about what actually happened. And so people will argue that what Naomi is really saying, she's telling Ruth to go to the threshing floor and seduce Boaz. You know, uncover his feet and uh, get him to marry you. But if you, if you just read the story, and if you pay a little bit of attention and give a little credit to the character of Ruth and Boaz you've seen so far, you recognize that what the author's trying to do in the story, he's trying to show you, yeah, there's a real temptation there, there's a real possibility that they could have done that, but oh, look how they, how they made it through. Look how they came right up to the edge of temptation, and, and that's what they had to do to, 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 to make the plan work out, but they didn't give in. See, those who read in uh, at, at them uh, getting together, they're, they're, they're just, just reading in their expectations that they've been conditioned to have from when you watch every, I mean, every movie you watch, every TV show you watch, if people, if the male character and the female character are in this situation, you just know what to expect, what's going to happen next. And so they expect, well, of course, Ruth and Boaz would have done that. But if you actually read the story, it's not there. And yet, in that time, if someone would have seen Ruth and Boaz there, it would have been their natural assumption too. Why else would a woman go alone to be with this man at a threshing floor at night? It's a real risk, even though they do nothing wrong, that it could ruin their reputations. See, see these are the concerns, this, this fear of rejection, a fear of physical danger, a fear of a damaged reputation. Do these sound familiar at all? I mean, I, I think these are the same sort of fears that keep us from taking risks. If you're single and there's a person that you really want to ask out on a date. What's keeping you from doing it? Fear of rejection? Fear that they'll say no and that, that you know, maybe you've got a, a maybe you feel stable and safe where you are right now, just liking them from a distance, but if you actually ask them out, then, then they could say no and it could all be ruined. Or, or married couples. I mean, may, maybe you feel a, uh, a need or a, a, a desire in your, in your life to, to help your marriage to improve and, y and you see this marriage seminar coming up somewhere and you, you, you want to invite your spouse, you think it would be good for you, and yet you don't. Why? Because you're afraid of rejection. You don't want to present that opportunity to your spouse because you think, well, they might reject it and then they might get angry, there might be consequences. I'm not going to take that risk. What about physical danger? Um, Maybe you're afraid to go on a mission trip or you're afraid to let a loved one go on a mission trip because of the physical danger they might experience. I just had a niece who came back from Zimbabwe. That's not a good place to go. Uh, she had a summer mission trip there and I think honestly if I was her parent I would have said no, don't go there. Um, but my sister let her go and she had a wonderful time and it was a, a blessing for her and for others and it was a good trip. Sometimes we let our, our, our rational and, and, and well-grounded fears of physical danger prevent us from taking risks. Uh, 
Or maybe you're just afraid of hurting your reputation if you, if you take a risk. And you can tell if that's your problem if you're always asking, oh, but what will people think? I want to do this. Oh, but what will people think? Okay. These fears, they can dominate our lives just like they had the opportunity to dominate Ruth and Naomi. Fear of rejection, of danger, of reputations. But to quote the great Wayne Gretzky, you always miss 100% of the shots you don't take. No risk, no reward. Naomi and Ruth model for us a willingness to take risks. Now, important caveats. First, Naomi's plan is not foolish. There's risks, but she evaluates the risk. You look at Boaz, um, you, you think, okay, she could be rejected by Boaz, but is that likely? Given what we know about what Boaz has done so far, is it likely that he will turn 180 degrees and all of a sudden reject Ruth when he, for no reason, was overwhelmingly generous to her when he first met her? No, chances are he's going to accept Ruth. Is he going to take advantage of her? Not likely. This is the guy who loves the Lord and the law so much that he is overwhelmingly generous to people who come to glean in his field. He's not going to abandon the law of the Lord just because he has this opportunity with Ruth. Is it going to ruin the reputations? Well, Naomi takes precautions. She tells Ruth to go there at night, to do it secretly, to try to avoid being seen. And maybe it will damage the reputations, but at some point you have to say, does the risk outweigh the reward? Or does the reward outweigh the risk? So the plan's not foolish. Another key is it's not ungodly. You recognize there's some risks that you could take that may have a big payoff, but they're ungodly. Uh, cheating on a test is a risk. Uh, you risk getting caught, you risk getting expelled, but you might also gain a better grade on your test. Uh, so if you do it shrewdly, if you're not foolish about it, does that make it okay? Well, no. If a risk is ungodly, you just you categorically throw it out. Uh, cheating on taxes, lying, shoplifting, adultery, they're all risks. You know, sin has risk to it. That's part of its appeal. It appeals to our risk-taking natures. But that's not what we're talking about. You know, Ruth doesn't go to Boaz with this ungodly plan of seducing him by any means possible. She's going to propose marriage. It's a godly plan. It's not foolish. It's risky, but it works. Let's read the rest of chapter 3. So she went down, Ruth went down, to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain. Then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. At midnight, the man was startled and turned over, and behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, Who are you? She answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. And he said, May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter. You have made this last kindness greater than the first, in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich, and now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask, for, you, for all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman. And now it is true that I am a redeemer, yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight, and in the morning, if he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down until morning. So she laid his feet until the morning, but arose before one could recognize another, and he said, Let it not be known that the woman came to the threshing floor. And he said, Bring the garment you are wearing and hold it out. So she held it out, and he measured out six measures of barley and put it on her. Then she went into the city, and when she came to her mother-in-law, she said, How did you fare, my daughter? 
Then she told her all that the man had done for her, saying, These six measures of barley he gave to me, for he said to me, You must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. She replied, Wait, my daughter, until you learn how this matter turns out, for the man will not rest, but he will settle the matter today. The plan works out. I'm not going to go over in detail these things. It's pretty easy to follow. Ruth asks Boaz to marry her. He responds positively. The plan works. He says, yes, I will marry you. And he sends her home with all this barley. And this is a great point in the story because he says uh, through Ruth to Naomi, your mother-in-law must not be empty. You you must not go back empty-handed to your mother-in-law. See, this is the beginning of the happy ending. You remember in in chapter 1 at the end, uh, Naomi said, I went away full, but I came back empty. And now Boaz, as the the means of blessing from God, is saying, don't go back to your mother-in-law empty. Go back to her overflowing. Let the blessings begin to flow into her life. And Naomi recognizes it's working. It's working. This risk is paying off. But there's a wrinkle. Did you catch that? Boaz says in verse 12, it's true. I am a redeemer. But there is a redeemer closer than me, a nearer than me. So according to the custom and the law at the time, yeah, Boaz was in line to redeem them and he's willing to do it, but there's a guy who's closer than him. And so now it's Boaz's turn to take a risk as he deals with this business transaction. See, Boaz makes a plan. It it sounds like a lame plan at the beginning, actually. In verses 12 and 13 of chapter 3, he says, there is this redeemer nearer than I. Here's his plan. Uh, Remain here tonight in the morning. If he will redeem you, good. Let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. That is not the sort of statement to sweep a woman off her feet. He <laughs> says, here's my plan. Yeah, there's another guy. I want to marry you. I really do. There's another guy. If he'll do it, okay. If not, I'll do it. It's like, what, what are you talking about, boys? I thought you were excited about this. Uh, and he is. He makes a plan. Uh, we, we, we see as he implements the plan that it's a little more complicated than that. He actually puts his heart and soul into it. Uh, but his plan, like Naomi's plan, is risky. Um, everything in the story has been moving Boaz and Ruth together and clearly it seems like they want to be together this is that love story part of it Boaz is excited that she chose him he wants to be with Ruth and yet he's willing now to risk the possibility that that might not happen this is a little different sort of risk than Naomi's plan Uh, this is the risk where there's something that you want and you know that you could do the wrong thing to get it but if you do the right thing you might not Boaz knows that the right thing to do is to let the other redeemer have the opportunity to marry Ruth. I mean, what's stopping Boaz, though, from just kind of secretly marrying Ruth, and then, you know, they're married. What can the guy do then? He's like, I did it. Just deal with it. He, He could go take what he wants, whether the law requires it or not, but he's taking the risk of doing the right thing and not getting what he wants instead of doing the wrong thing and taking what he wants for himself. This was illustrated just perfectly recently in the Olympics. If you hear about the South African swimmer, uh, breaststroker, the guy who won the gold in the breaststroke for South Africa, he admitted to cheating. Apparently you're limited to one dolphin kick. We all know what that is now, right, because we've been watching the Olympics. Uh, You're limited to one dolphin kick after you turn, and he took like three. Here's what he said about that. Uh, He said, it's not obviously, this is a quote, it's not obviously, shall we say, the moral thing to do, but I'm not willing to sacrifice my personal performance and four years of hard work for someone that's willing to do it and get away with it. Okay. So he's saying, I, it's, it's not obviously, shall we say, the moral thing to do. 
Uh, but I'm not willing to risk not getting the gold medal. I've worked for four years. Uh, my whole life is about this one thing, and I'm not willing to risk doing the right thing and having somebody else cheat and win when I could have cheated and won. Okay? That's the kind of risk we're talking about here. The risk that says, I'm going to do the right thing, even if it costs me what I really want. That's what Boaz is risking here. So here's Boaz's plan. As we look at it here, we'll see it's not quite as simple, not as foolish as we thought. So Boaz's plan is not foolish. Chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Now Boaz had gone up to the gate and sat down there. And behold, the Redeemer, of whom Boaz had spoken, came by. So Boaz said, Turn aside, friend, sit down here. And he turned aside and sat down. And he took ten men of, ten men of the elders of the city and said, Sit down here. So they sat down. And he said to the Redeemer, Naomi who has come back from the country of Moab, is selling the parcel of land that belonged to a relative Elimelech. So I thought I would tell you of it and say, uh, buy it in the presence of those sitting here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you will redeem it, redeem it. But if you will not, tell me that I may know, for there is no one else besides you to redeem it, and I come after you. And he said, I will redeem it. Then Boaz said, the day you buy the field from the hand of Naomi, you also acquire Ruth the Moabite, the widow of the dead, in order to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance. Then the Redeemer said, I cannot redeem it for myself, lest I impair my own inheritance. Take my right of redemption yourself, for I cannot redeem it. All right, as we look at this plan, we see, oh, Boaz actually is clever. He really does want this. He's got a plan. And it's not a foolish plan. He's thought it out. Uh, this is the first mention we get in this book of the fact that there was land, but it just hasn't been relevant up to this point. Of course, Elimelech owned land, um, and since he's died, it's, it's now under Naomi's care. And, and as a widow on her own, one of the options left to her would be to sell that land to a redeemer. You're going to sell it to somebody who's close in the family so that it stays in the family. That was very important. Uh, but she would sell the land. She would get some money for it, be able to live. And the benefit for the redeemer, besides doing the right thing, is that he'll now get this land and be able to uh, get income off of it. And it will become a part of his family's inheritance if the widow has no heir of her own. So it's really, as Boaz presents it initially, a win-win for this Redeemer. He gets to do the right thing, look like the good guy, be in the Redeemer, and he's going to get land out of the deal that's going to provide uh, income for him and for his family for generations. Because the Limelech's line is done now. Then Boaz brings the twist. He says, oh, okay, uh, now you know it's a package deal. Uh, if you take the land, there's also this other widow, so if you're the Redeemer of one, you're the Redeemer of the other, if you take the land, you've got to take the widow, and you've got to produce an heir for her, and then the land's going to go back into that family line. It's not going to be a part of your family line for generations. So you're going to do the right thing, but now it's going to cost you. You're going to have to pay for the land, and you're going to have to care for your wife, and it's not going to be your inheritance forever. It's going to go in this other line. Caesar Boaz is really clever. He, he knows, as we see, that if he just offers the land to the Redeemer, he's going to take it. Obvious. Boaz is concerned that if he just offers Ruth to the Redeemer, the guy might think, well, all right, I'll marry Ruth. But if he puts them both together, it's a package deal. The guy can't afford it. He's not going to jeopardize his inheritance by doing that. So Boaz skillfully begins with the one he knows he's going to take. He knows he's going to take. And then when he takes that one, he says, oh, by the way, you've got to marry Ruth too. See, it's not a foolish plan. It's actually quite clever. Is it ungodly? No. It's not ungodly to be shrewd. He doesn't lie. He doesn't, uh, he doesn't uh, mislead the man. He just, he just tells him 
uh, the options in sequential order, but very cleverly. And as he does this risky plan, it works out. Let's read through verse 13. So now this was a custom in former times in Israel concerning redeeming and exchanging to confirm a transaction. The one drew off his sandal and gave it to the other, and this was the manner of attesting in Israel. So when the Redeemer said to Boaz, buy it for yourself, he drew off his sandal. Then Boaz said to the elders and all the people, you are witnesses this day that I bought from the hand of Naomi all that belonged to Elimelech and all that belonged to Chilion and Malon. Also Ruth the Moabite, the widow of Malon, I bought to be my wife to perpetuate the name of the dead in his inheritance that the name of the dead may not be cut off from among his brothers and from the gate of his native place. You are witnesses this day. Then all the people who were at the gate and the elders said, we are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming into your house like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the house of Israel. May you act worthily in Ephrathah and be renowned in Bethlehem. And may your house be like the house of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah, because of the offspring that the Lord will give you by this young woman. So Boaz took Ruth, and she became his wife, and he went into her, and the Lord gave her conception, and she bore a son. Happy ending. The plan worked. In these two scenes, both with Naomi and then with Boaz, we see people taking risks. Naomi and Ruth and Boaz, they take risks, and it turns out right for them. God works the plan. God brings success. Now this is the point in the sermon where it becomes a sermon and not a motivational speech. Okay. Wayne Gretzky could stand up here and tell you, you always miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Inspirational speakers all the time can stand up and motivate crowds and say, look, here's my story, here's the risks that I took, here's how it worked out for me. You should take risks too. You, you, you gotta, you gotta go for it. You gotta, no risk, no reward. People can motivate you. They, you can get crowds fired up by just telling people, "Look, this is what happened in my story. This is what happened in your story. This is what happened in Ruth's story. This is what happened in Boaz's story. Isn't it great? This is what's going to happen for you." Now, what's the basis for that? Do you just get excited and say, "Yeah, I'm going to go take risks because the person talked loudly, or because they were successful"? I mean, Wayne Gretzky made a lot of shots that I wouldn't make because he was Wayne Gretzky. Like, there's a difference between him and me. So for him to say, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take, how does that really help me? I mean, it's great on a poster. But where do you get, where do you, where do you personally, where does this, where does this hit you? Where do you get the power? Where do you get the ability to overcome those fears? The fear of rejection, the fear of physical danger, uh, the fear of uh, loss of reputation, the fear of losing the thing that you love if you do the right thing. Where do you get the power and the ability to do that? Not just because it worked out for Ruth and Boaz. I'll tell you where I get it. Uh, Philippians 4, 6, and 7. 1 Peter 5, 7. Romans 8, 28. Romans 8, 32. John 16, 27. Philippians 4, 6, and 7. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything, through prayer and petition, present your request to God. And the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. 1 Peter 5, 7, cast your cares on him because he cares for you. Romans 8, 28, and we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him who have been called according to his purpose. Romans 8, 32, he who did not spare his own son but gave him up for us all, how will he not also along with him graciously give us all things? John 16, 27, the Father himself loves you because you believe that I came from God. 
See, where do you get the power to do these things? Where do you get the power to take risks? You get it by believing the gospel. Boaz, in this story, is an exemplary redeemer. He's a great guy. He doesn't have any flaws. He does a good job of taking care of Ruth. But folks, we have a redeemer so much better than Boaz. Jesus is our redeemer. See, Boaz, he risked some stuff to take care of Ruth, right? He risked some things in order to redeem Ruth. Jesus risked everything. In fact, he lost everything to redeem us. Uh, he had infinite glory and perfection and, and love uh, in, in heaven for forever, dwelling together with God the Father, God the Holy Spirit in the Trinity, and, and he gave that up. He gave that glory up. He humbled himself to become a human being, a human being who died, who died even on a cross. Talk about a risky plan. But he did that to redeem us. And the plan worked. The third day he rose from the dead, and then he ascended into heaven. He sits there at the right hand of the Father, interceding for you and me who believe in him. So if you come and take shelter under his wings, yeah, Boaz has good wings. Boaz, has, he's, he's, got, he's got resources, he's got money, he's going to take care of Ruth and Naomi, good. But the one whose wings we come under, the one whose shelter we really need is God. We come under his wings by putting our faith in Jesus Christ. And when we do that, we have confidence that no matter what happens, he's got us in his hands. Now, if you've got that, if you've got that rock-solid confidence that comes from believing the gospel, that God is for you, then we should be the most risk-taking, confident people in the world. Because we're not just playing percentages we're not just going off of principles like if you take risks, you'll succeed more often than not, or if you don't take risks, you'll never succeed. No, our action is based not on motivational speech, but on the, the work of Jesus on the cross. His profound statement of love and affirmation for you, that he is for you. And if God is for you, who can be against you? So this week, what I want for us to think about, what I want for us to process through is, is, is what are the risks that God is calling you to? Okay. What is the action that he's calling you to? The, the title of the sermon was Real Faith Takes Risks. Faith is a risk. You can illustrate it as simply as, as sitting out in a chair. It, it, if there's a chair here and it's, and it's not real, if it's like a hologram or something... You know, you, you go over there and you could, you, could you, you wonder, is it a hologram? Is it real? I don't know. Uh, you'll, you'll never actually demonstrate faith until you sit down in it, right? The, the faith is the actual action. It's the risk taking. Is the chair going to hold me up? You, you, faith is, is just speculation when I'm over here, but it's faith when I come over and I sit down in the chair and prove, well, it can hold me or it can't, okay? Real faith that moves beyond speculation, that moves beyond just agreeing in your mind that Jesus exists. Real faith says, I believe Jesus exists, that he loves me, and he's going to take care of me, so I'm going to go ahead and act. You know, what is it that God's calling you? What is it, what's on your heart right now? Have you been listening to this? When I've been saying risk, what have you been thinking about? What's God calling you to do? What's the risk that he's asking for you? Maybe it's something as simple as proposing a new idea at work. Maybe it's just an idea that you've had that, that you think would be good and you've just been sitting on it because you're afraid of rejection. You're afraid of what's going to happen. Just, what are you afraid of? The Father himself loves you. Uh, maybe you uh, have thought, I should invite someone over to my house for dinner. Oh, but I can't cook well. I don't, 
my house isn't clean. I don't know if I've got the time for it. I don't have the money. Well, what are you afraid of? Okay? Take a risk. Start a new relationship. See what God's going to do with that. It might be giving up a, a sin that's been a part of your life for a long time. You think, I don't know how I would function if I gave that up. But God's saying, take a risk. Trust me when I tell you that sin is bad for you. Trust me that I can provide for you, that I'll meet all of your needs, that I'm better than that sin you're holding on to. Act out your faith and take a risk. Whatever it is, we can use this story as a, as a, as a framework. We think about the risk, we say, is it a foolish risk? Is it an ungodly risk? If it's not, go for it. Jesus loves you. Real faith takes risks. Let's trust God together and see what happens. Let's pray. Father, I do pray that you would, in this moment, be clarifying for all of us what is something that you're calling us to do. Is there a person in our lives that we need to talk frankly with about the gospel? Um, is there something in our own hearts that we need to repent of and let go? Um, is there an idea, a new thing that you want us to try, but we've been hold, held back by our own fears and insecurities? Father, would you put your finger on our hearts right now and show us what you want us to do, and then by your Holy Spirit... <laughs> Make the gospel real in our hearts, that we would be released and empowered for action. Not afraid anymore. Not afraid of anything, but confident in your love for us. Lord, thank you for your promises. Thank you for the gospel. Thank you for your love for us. We pray on the basis of that love. In the name of Jesus, amen.